Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. I remember a five-year-old, Anna, who was in my church, and she was so excited when I walked in the door that Sunday because she ran up to me. She said, I have a question. I have a question. I said, what is it, Anna? You know, when children do that, you better start worrying. And she says, what does God wear? I thought and prayed very quickly. <laughs> and I said, God wears light. And she goes, ooh. This was a child who loved costumes, by the way, and color and brightness. And she still does. And is a married to an Episcopalian priest now. And loves the church better than you know anybody. God is light. God wears light. Let's think about that this morning. Our scripture reading from the New Testament comes from Matthew's Gospel. This story is contained in the other Gospels as well. But in Matthew, six days later, six days later after what? After Jesus had talked about his dying, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face, it shone like the sun and his his clothes became a dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared with him Moses and Elijah talking with him and then Peter said to him, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while Peter was still talking, suddenly this bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground, and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked, they saw no one except Jesus himself. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples said, why? He said, listen, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. He's referring to John the Baptist. And they didn't recognize him, but they did him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. And then when they came to the crowd, a man came to him and knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. And he often even falls into the fire and into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. And Jesus said, you're faithless and perverse generation. How much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with this? 
Bring him here. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, I tell you truly, if you have this faith of a mustard seed, you'd say this mountain move from here, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. So we say thanks to God. Amen. Climbing a mountain can be a life-changing experience, he said. Let's just try it this one time, he said. It'll be spectacular, he said. And by the way, don't forget to wear your light. There you go. I'm glad he said all that. I'm glad I listened to him. I'm glad I took him up on the offer. I'm glad I climbed. Three years ago this week, I decided that if Moses and Jesus could climb Mount Sinai, so was I. Let's call it Mount Hermon today. But once we finally arrived by bus at about 3 a.m., I wasn't so sure I wanted to do this anymore. It may be a religious pilgrimage of sorts, but maybe I could do something a little different. It was very windy, you see, and very dark, and it was very cold, and none of my clothes felt warm enough. And, and as I began to, that ascent, which would take me up 9,500 feet, all I remembered was the precarious rolling motion of Samson, the camel underneath me, and his guide, Mohammed and Mohammed's comforting voice as we made our way upward. I remember searching the black sky for a glimpse of where we were heading it, and at first the only thing visible to me was my own breath and the cold. Then as I looked way up ahead, I could see these tiny lights of fellow hikers who were already winding their way up the precipice. See, it was a school holiday, I didn't know that. So most of the climbers were young people and there were a lot of them out for the adventure. There was some comfort in seeing all those little lanterns marking the way in the distance. But let me assure you, at this point, I was not feeling at least a bit religious or comfortable. Instead, I was wondering what the heck I was doing here. And I still had a long way to go because, you see, that camel ride came to an end. And I now had to climb the 750 rough stone steps by foot to the top. And those steps were unlike anything I ever saw. They were rough and worn and almost forgotten. Quite honestly, I'll tell you, I didn't think I was going to make it. But I didn't know how to go back because there were crowds behind me pushing me onward. It was so dark, and it was so cold, and it was so precarious. 
But the memory of that day lingers in my mind because I remember the very moment when it suddenly dawned on me that I was being carried along that path by hundreds of little lights of people behind me and before me. As together we finally made it to the top to see the sunrise. At about 5 a.m., that sky began to slowly transform, turning from an austere satin black to shades of gray, and stone silhouettes began to appear in the distance as we climbed. And as I neared the top, the summit was covered, literally covered with bodies of the faithful, wrapped in blankets and sleeping bags. Many silent, some chatting quietly. Thanks to the kindness of strangers, I was offered a resting spot on a jagged piece of rock, and I clung to that rock. Finally, a dusty, reddish-orange light filtered through the sky, and my prayers were answered as that sun appeared on the horizon. I remember that a few of the faithful sang hymns but most of us stood there silently, or sat there silently, watching as the Sinai Desert and its rocky peaks began to lose their shadows and reveal their majestic selves. I will never, ever forget the wonder and the awe of that time. See, we don't describe them as mountaintop experiences for nothing. And in the Bible, well, in the Bible, when your storyteller takes you up a mountain, you better get ready. Because something totally mystical and unexplainable and unimaginable is going to take place. Something terribly dramatic. And you know, Presbyterians aren't really good with imagination or drama. But Matthew's story clung to that mountain too. And in tracking the bigger picture in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is now making his final trip to Jerusalem. And he's announced his suffering and his betrayal and his death, and, and he's anticipating that personally. And it, I know it has to be weighing heavy on his mind, but the disciples' friends are clueless. They find such talk on his part baffling and disturbing, discouraging, and even senseless. They either have nothing to say on the subject or they try to push him on way to another subject, so, some better thoughts, some happier thoughts, some more optimistic outlook on life. You see, they'd rather talk about plans for their future, what kind of power and positions they're going to have once Jesus' kingdom takes full force, than listen to him talk about death and dying. See, this is a low time in Jesus' life. He could use all the support he can get, but the disciples just aren't there for him in any meaningful way. In fact, they try to distract him from such talk and pull him into a more upbeat, positive direction, and no doubt their words tempted him. Oh, Jesus, even your friends think you shouldn't do this. Go another way. Seize the day, Jesus. Let's get this earthly kingdom going here. That's why everybody's following you now. You got the power that can make it happen. 
No doubt all those voices pounding on his head and in his heart were taking their toll. And Jesus said, I got to get away. So he took three of his closest friends and they hiked up that mountain. And that's where all the mystery and the wonder begins. The Father seems to step in from the very realms of heaven to provide new voices that support his Son. In fact, the way Matthew frames the story, this whole dazzling event was full of stupendous light. It was simply a beautiful affirmation of the direction that Jesus had chosen for his life. You're on the right path. This is it. Even Jesus' clothes are described as sparkling, a stunning white, if you will. It just couldn't get any lighter and brighter than that. So Jesus remembers Moses who climbed up that mountain when God appeared to him. And afterwards, no one could look at Moses' face because it was so bright with the light of God. Or like the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus when he came face to face with the Lord, he didn't know then and is blinded by the light that's going to break in on him. And that encounter took him three years to get over and understand. But then the light... It's not the only strange encounter because suddenly there's Moses and Elijah. I don't know how they recognized him, but God's trusted twin towers who stand for all that is just and merciful and true in the law and in the prophets, they show up and they talk to Jesus. And what do they talk about? Oh, they don't talk shop. They, they talk about Jesus' future plans, what he's going to accomplish in Jerusalem. They're there to confirm Jesus in the direction he has to go and to encourage him down the path for the sake of the world. It's as though they're telling him, listen, Jesus, all the hosts of heaven are cheering you on in your quest to bring hope to the world we love. Wow, what a spectacular sight that must have been on Mount Hermon that day. We're also told in another gospel a little bit more of the truth about moment too because some of the disciples dozed off. In the midst of all this, how could they sleep? And yet they did. And if we're honest, most of us are no different than the disciples. We've gone to church and we found ourselves nodding off after we've looked around this little mountaintop and decided, well, there's really not much here to see. The truth is, the disciples often missed the glory of Jesus. They missed the light of God, even when it shined right in front of their face. See, Jesus really didn't need to glow to show glory. His glory shined for those who had eyes to see, especially when he started up a conversation with a prostitute in front of everybody, or a leper, or a tax collector, or anyone who had no idea what it meant to be valued and loved. You see, glory in the Greek also translates as reputation. So God's glory The wonder of God's light is God's reputation 
for being God. But wait, there's a real showstopper. And it's coming on stage, stage right. It's the voice. It's a voice that we haven't heard since Jesus' baptism when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in this scene, Peter is going on about building memorial retreat centers and shrines, thinking that Jesus must really be into shrines. And suddenly this voice interrupts Peter and exclaims, goodness sake, Peter, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. I have to confess, I have some sympathy for Peter, and I hope you do too, because we always would like to build things for other people that we can celebrate their goodness and their grace. But God apparently isn't interested in that, and God says simply, listen to him. That's what I want. I don't want your shrines. I want your ears. I want you to listen. See, it takes some listening to hear deep in our hearts the blessedness of our belovedness. Yours and mine. We are, like Jesus, beloved of God. And Jesus comes to transfer that light, that truth, to our hearts and our lives. Then in a flash, it's all over. Nothing there to see, no light, no glory, no one left standing but Jesus. And that was it. They were undone by it all, and Jesus said, don't be afraid, come on. And they make the way down the mountain. And I imagine they didn't talk too much, if at all. When we come face to face with our own mystical beauty and belovedness, you just have to think about it and let it sink in. This is who you are. Away from that mountain, they go back to the herd of the world. And the powers that be who will eventually kill him, the crowds who will turn their back on him, and the ones who simply won't believe that they too are beloved. Matthew tells us that the first thing that Jesus does that next day is to heal a, a young boy. A young boy who at times is tortured by the voices in his own head that are trying to destroy him. Jesus is furious that even after he comes into the world that he loves, such evil still is able to plague those he came for. And for a moment, Jesus loses it, and we have to let him. He's yelling at his disciples, Where's your faith? Where's your faith that refuses to listen to the host of voices that would destroy the weak and the small among us? Where's your faith that dares to allow in the name of all that is loving and human and good the, the voices of evil 
and let them have their way with the sick and the poor and the oppressed. Where is your faith, church? You are beloved. Here's what Matthew's telling us, church. God doesn't want us to retreat to this mountaintop of a sanctuary so we can escape the world, and we know that. But every week we come into this holy hill to lift up our eyes so we can see where our help is located. To get the address straight again in our minds. To remember who is the Lord of all. We come so we can see the light again in ourselves. So we can hear the light of the Lord. So we can hear the word coming into us. A word that is full of love and compassion and generosity and faithfulness that willingly embraces the hurt of the world right outside these walls. Truth is that most of Jesus' teaching spoke directly to and about the most marginalized people in our society. His own life reflected the light of God and its modesty and its humility and its faithfulness and its love. And while Jesus could have changed the world with a snap of his fingers, he instead chose the harder path and he calls us to do the same. And it's the path of love, of forgiveness, of peace. the path that would come face to face with the voices of accusation and blame, the voices of violence and self-hate, the voices of vengeance and death, and he dares us to face those things head on just as he did. You and I both know the voices are deceiving, aren't they? We recognize the madness most clearly when we listen to the lies of autocrats and dictators and terrorists and others who want to torment us from their positions of power. We we wonder when men bomb innocents and destroy old and young alike and insist that God is commanding them to do it. We wonder how in the world they could see that connected to sacred duty. So the question for us is, are we awake enough to ourselves to listen to the one voice we hold dear when our own prejudices and warring madness and opinions and preferences seem to hold sway over us and influence us unduly? Some of you are going to say, but there's so many voices out there, preacher. There's so many that really make sense to me a little bit. and They appeal to my sense of well-being and, and the way I want my world to be. I understand that. We're all vulnerable to that. There's not a one in this house that isn't distracted by lesser things. But here's a rule of thumb straight from the God who made you. If those voices, listen, if those voices aren't pointing you to the ways of life and peace and love and forgiveness and restoration and transformation, all those are the way of Jesus, by the way. 
that's what he would talk about, then your job is to ignore them, refuse them any place in your mind and heart, even if it sounds biblical or religious or patriotic or, or lawful. It isn't the one you want to hear speaking to you. To listen for the Word of God to us, to see the light that that Word offers, that's why we're here this morning. That's why you're here, to embrace the cross as a distinctive vocation, a calling, and to shine our lights into the everyday world of human need where Jesus himself goes before us, healing the sick and facing head on the forces of evil. Friends, if worship is a retreat, it's not a retreat from the world, but it's a retreat in order to come back to the world with the light of mercy and grace and love. That's why you're here. Because you know that to be true. You've been to the mountain. You've seen the top. You've heard the light. You've seen the voices. You've been there. You understand. But now the memory grows little by little further and further away. So you're here to catch a glimpse one more time of what you know to be true about yourself. You are beloved deeply, eternally beloved. And you are called to offer that belovedness to anyone else who crosses your path. I don't know about you, but I got some mountains to climb. And it is dark out there, isn't it? There's lots of rough and dangerous places just ahead of us. But we've seen the light. You've heard the sun. There's no reason on earth why you and I can't keep climbing and dreaming and singing as we go. Wearing our little lights. Humble and unpretentious as they are, but together climbing to the top to see God. That's why we can sing today. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, sing it. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let's pray. We don't fancy ourselves deeply religious theologically astute. In fact, we doubt more than we believe, but we have seen the light.
we know the beauty, the wonder of the Beloved One. And we claim his vision as our own in this sanctuary. Oh Lord, help us to wear our lights out of this place into the world that needs to see the goodness and the love of God, the justice of God, the peace of God. And let us dare to dream that we too can come face to face with the beauty of Jesus himself. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.